Hello everyone, how are you today? My name is DJ, I'm the campus pastor at the Castle Rock campus, and I see some of you looking at me uh, and at all of our campuses like, wow, Pastor John has lost a lot of hair uh, and he's put on a couple of pounds or something like that. Um, I am not Pastor John Leach, uh, <laughs> and I know that uh, you were probably expecting to see him up here this weekend. He had every intention of being here uh, with all of us this weekend, but has come down sick and is not feeling well, was simply not able uh, to be here this weekend. I was scheduled to teach next weekend, and so we swapped weekends, and uh, he will be sharing with all of us next weekend practical steps on renewing our minds. So I know we're not going to want to miss that, so I encourage you, make plans to come on out uh, next weekend and be a part of that, and also, of course, be praying for uh, him this weekend and, and this upcoming week. Uh, but anyway, uh, those of you who know me know that I like to begin uh, whenever I get a chance to share God's word, I like to begin with at least a stab at humor. And, uh, you know, it's sort of out for, for uh, the jury's still out on whether that is successful or not in most cases. You don't, don't answer that. Uh, by the way, uh, at all of our campuses, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, uh, Castle Rock, they think I'm tremendously funny. But uh, here I know, you know, there's different senses of humor depending on what part of Douglas County we're in and all of that or, or Jeffco. Um, by the way, welcome all of our campuses and all those listening uh, online uh, via live stream or uh, who will listen via podcast. Um, but anyway, so, so I wanted to begin that and I had every intention of, of beginning with a very, very funny story with you. But then I changed my mind. That was the joke. We're in the Renewed Mind series. And I know, I know. It's very bad. But here's the good news. For those of you who are like, hey, get onto the meat of the word. Don't waste our time with humor. Guess what? That's it. It's over. We can rejoice and get to the word of God. Aren't you glad? Amen. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. Uh, yes, that was my feeble attempt at humor. But we have been learning about renewing our minds. We've been learning about what repentance truly means, which is actually changing our minds, changing the way we think, thinking differently about everything and thinking according to God's word and his truth. And, uh, and so this is part three of that. If you haven't heard uh, those messages, I encourage you to go on jfc.org and download them. They are powerful messages that, uh, I'm telling you what, we've talked amongst our staff at, uh, you know, most of us have known the Lord for a number of years and been, you know, pastors and leaders, and we are being challenged to grow in the Lord. I mean, these are things that, that can set you free. These are things that can make all the difference in your experience, in your walk with the Lord. And so I encourage you at all of our campuses, wherever you're listening, uh, if you haven't heard those messages, perhaps even if you have, listen to them again because uh, they have the power to change us from the inside out. So we are, this is uh, message number three in our Renewed Mind series. And uh, I called it Paradigm Shift. Paradigm Shift. And some of you are looking at me like, you know, what in the world is paradigm? I'll give you a hint. It's not two coins that total 20 cents. Ah, Thomas is gone. He's not in the drum cage anymore. Paradigm. Uh, when we talk about, hey, what is paradigm? Uh, I am not a scientist. Far from it. Uh, but uh, with the simple definition given uh, in the most reliable uh, sort of uh, source of information known to man, which again is Wikipedia, um, for those of you who didn't know that, um, I promise, we'll, t we'll say some truth today. Uh, okay, just not at the very beginning. Uh, but, it, but it talks about paradigm, meaning a, a set of assumptions 
that work under a specific theory, but that as more and more science comes out and more discoveries are made, sometimes you have to challenge that paradigm. You have to go, okay, now based on what we've learned lately, maybe there's a different paradigm that's needed. Maybe there's a different overarching set of assumptions that have to change. For example, if I invited you to my house and you walked in and instantly you fell on your head. And then I invited some other folks, maybe some friends from the Bible study, and they came over, and they all fell on their heads. And then, you know, uh, uh, I invited, you know, my kids, when they came home, got off the bus, came up the street, opened the garage door, and they fell on their heads. Guess what? It might be time for a new paradigm. Because our house might actually be upside down. And the theory of gravity, of pulling everybody down, we would all be falling on our heads. Does that make sense? Okay, that's my understanding of a paradigm is that, hey, all of a sudden something isn't working or isn't working the way we think it should be working. And it comes time to go, hey, wait a second. Is there something that I'm missing? Is there a greater truth? Is there a greater understanding that all of a sudden brings everything together so that it works the way it's supposed to work? That's what a paradigm is. And I believe that God's word obviously has many paradigms in it, but I want to speak about one of them that has to do with the renewed mind. And it's found in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to go ahead and just take a moment to read that passage. It's uh, perhaps a, a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. It was written by John the Beloved, and he was uh, Jesus' best friend. He was the closest disciple, uh, I think that's universally accepted, uh, to Jesus, the one who perhaps spent most time with him, the one who sat and literally reclined on Jesus, uh, probably on a regular basis, but for sure at this Last Supper, when Jesus was getting ready to uh, be arrested and to give his life for you and for me and obviously for these disciples and for the whole world. But here's what it says. Let's begin just by reading verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. And it says this, It was just before the Passover festival, And Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Another version says, he showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Simon Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Wow. Verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Pray with me just for a moment. God, we come before you and God, we approach your word with reverence, with joy, with anticipation. Because your words are spirit and they are life. And we don't want to underestimate the power that is contained in your word. And so, Lord, 
we agree together, you have something powerful for us this weekend. You desire to challenge our paradigm and perhaps to introduce a new paradigm and a new kingdom principle into our hearts and into our thinking that would change our minds and align our thinking with you forever and that would allow the good things that you have for us to become reality. God, I pray at every campus, all of us listening online, everywhere throughout the world today, that God, we come together with one heart and one purpose, and that is to glorify you, Jesus, to hear your word, to have an encounter with you, and to be changed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, crazy story. Um, it's uh, the last few hours that Jesus had with his disciples. And he had the weight upon him. In fact, in a different scripture, it says, I am bestowing on you a kingdom, is what he told them. Now, there's an exercise in leadership. I forget which book I read it in, but it says something like this. CEO or leader or pastor or whatever person, a parent, whatever person in whatever level of leadership or authority you're in, Imagine yourself only having three months to spend in your company, in your family, in your church, in whatever setting you are, with your friends. What would you do? How would you ensure that what matters to you is what goes on once you're gone? If you were in another country, perhaps, and you had three months to change a culture or to establish a value system or to, to start up some children in the way that they should go, what would you teach? What would you say? What would you impart? What would you do with them? And I believe that that was the mindset that Jesus was in on this final night before he was arrested and before his passion began. He is trying to impart and bestow a kingdom that would remain forever, an unshakable kingdom. And so every moment was precious. Every word he spoke was measured because he didn't have a lot of time. And he had to do the most important things. So he took time in that context on that night to wrap a towel around himself and to do this sort of unorthodox thing with the disciples of humbling himself and going around and washing their feet. And, you know, it gets to Peter, and Peter asked him a question, which is kind of an obvious one, I think. Lord, you're going to wash my feet? I mean, Peter gets a bad rap sometimes, right? I mean, he's kind of that guy that said out loud what everybody else was thinking. <laughs> but then, of course, he took the fall. <laughs> Lord, we've got Peter. Peter in his big mouth, Lord. <laughs> that guy, why did you choose him in the first place? You know, I've been thinking about that. You know, but he said what was obvious. He said the same thing that John the Baptist said. What? I'm going to baptize you. You should be baptizing me, right? Acknowledging that this is the same Peter, by the way, that in Caesarea Philippi had acknowledged, who do, who do I think you are? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus was like, hey, you got that right. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And the church is going to be built on that solid So, So he knew, he's like, I remember who you are. I mean, we covered this like two days ago. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're Lord. You don't wash my feet. I wash your feet. Let's get this straight. You're the king. I'm the servant, right? So it's not something seemingly that would be wrong or, or prideful or uh, in any way unexpected. I think I would have possibly said the same thing. Maybe you would have as well. And so Jesus responds two things. The first one is he kind of takes the, the uh, uh, gentle approach, you know. <laughs> How many of you guys like God's gentle approach in our lives? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, hey, 
what I'm doing now, you don't understand right now, but you will understand it, Peter. Just row with me on this. Trust me on this, you know? And that worked as well as perhaps it does in our lives many times. <laughs> Peter's like, no! <laughs> I, you don't understand how this works, Lord. You've gotten confused. Maybe it's the stress of the passion coming on, whatever. But let me clarify to you how this works. Let me clarify to you the paradigm. Let me clarify to you that you're the king, we're the servants, and this is how this works. We serve you. So can we, can we switch this around? Let me have that water. You know, and they're like, you know, struggling back and forth. So finally, Jesus has to come out with, with one of the most amazing statements, I think, in the New Testament. And he goes, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. Does that seem a little bit disproportionate? Highlands Ranch, does that seem a little bit, wow, it seems to me like if you're in Guantanamo and, you know, one of the Cuban soldiers accidentally like flicks a rock over the fence or whatever, you know, at the, at the Marines that are there, and they're like, that's it, we're calling in a fire squad, F-16 comes in, blows up the entire island. That's kind of what Peter was probably feeling like, whoa, 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 what, how could you, we've spent the last three years together. Do you understand what I left behind to follow you? I had a fishing business. A prosperous one. You know, I could be out on the lake fishing right now. And here we are, afraid we're all going to die tonight, you know. We spent the last three years bunking together. We spent them traveling together. We spent them eating together. We've been teaching people. We've been seeing miracles. We've been healing people. We've been telling people the kingdom of God is near. We've been learning from each other. I've been taking notes, you know, just in case one day I write a gospel. I mean, you know. Okay, whatever. Could have happened that way. The point being, after three years of being like this, you're going to in one moment, particularly when this is the last, I mean, this is an intimate moment here that we're having, and you're going to go, if you don't let me do this one thing, you have no part with me. That seems a little bit harsh. Seems a little bit like, dude, whoa, what, what happened? I mean, did Jesus wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Why would one simple thing make a big difference like that? Unless, unless Jesus was changing a paradigm. Unless Jesus was establishing a kingdom principle that he knew, Peter, if you don't get this, disciples, if you don't get what's about to happen here, Neither you, nor the people that come to know me through you, nor the people that come to know through them, nor the people in Douglas County or Jeffco in 2013 or around the world, none of them are going to understand a kingdom reality that is vital to what I'm doing on the earth. And I believe that's exactly the case. I believe that God was establishing, that Jesus was establishing a paradigm. And this is what it was. It's a kingdom law. You can't give away what you haven't first received. It's written on your notes. You can't give away, Lakewood, what you haven't first received. Our pastor John Lee says this, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. No matter how much I want to, if my pocket's empty, I can't give it. Have you ever tried giving what you don't have? Maybe, maybe in your marriage, you know, and it's like, Okay, we're going to come together and we're going we're to resolve this. And all of a sudden it's like my spouse says something. And then I'm like, well, that was disrespectful. And then I'm like, well, yeah, but you, you know. And then it's like, Pfft. 
And then it's like, well, yeah, but you've always, and when we first married, ever since then, well, your family is, you know, all of a sudden it's like, ah, this huge bomb goes off. And it's like, well, I, if, if she would only respect me. And she's going, well, if he would only love me, you know, and it just, we have these standoffs where it's like, I know in a perfect world what would happen. I would give him respect, she would give me love, vice versa, whatever, you know, love and respect and, and honor and all that stuff. But like both people are going there, my pockets are empty. I got nothing to give you. I don't even like you right now. And we find ourselves in this predicament that we can't give what we don't have, what we haven't received. Perhaps you're a young person in college and you want your life to shine brightly for Jesus. But man, it's hard because every time you try to open your mouth, it just seems like the world just comes against you and you just, you feel powerless. You're like, I need something that I don't have and I don't know where to get it. I don't know, Castle Rock, how to, how to give what I don't have. It's almost impossible to do it. And even when we do it, it's empty. Here's what I believe we come across is one of those half verse alerts. You've heard of those half verse Christian alerts where, where there's a verse in the Bible and it's familiar and it's a, it's a powerful verse. It's a, you know, one of those really verses that gives direction, but we tend to get half of it. And I think Matthew 10 verse 8 is one of those verses. And in it, Jesus, it's earlier on in his ministry, three years before the night that we're talking about here. And, and he was getting ready to commission those disciples to go out. He's like, I'm giving you authority. All authority has been given to me. Now I commission you to go out and make disciples and, and to heal the sick and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to send demons fleeing. And he's like, he says these, these simple two phrases, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, Freely give. Hey, I've poured into you. I've set you free. I have told you of the Father's love. I have imparted the kingdom to you. Now, take that and give it. So it's a great verse. But I believe that what happens is that we find ourselves jumping to the second half of it. And we're like, okay, we got to go freely give. Now we got to freely give. We're Christians. Okay, we got to give. We got to give out. We got to give God's love. We got to give his power. We got to go out and do and give. And that's great, and that's half of it. But to be honest with you, if we skip over the first half of that verse, we don't have anything to give. And we find ourselves frustrated, and we find ourselves discouraged. And to be honest with you, the world kind of finds themselves like, you know, it's like, it's like you run a marathon, you know, with a bottle of water, and then it's got a hole in the bottom, and then you get there, and you're like, okay, I've made it. Here's the water. And it's like, that's it. It's empty. And the world's kind of like, is that what you ran 23 miles to give me? <laughs> That's kind of sad <laughs> because I thought there was more for me. The world thinks it's got to be more than this. The good news of Jesus, it has to be better. And that there, if you're talking about a God who loves us, who forgives, who is filled with grace, who has good things in store for us, come on. It's, it's got to look differently than that. Perhaps we've asked ourselves the question, as believers going, is this as good as it gets? And I'm just supposed to pretend kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, God gives joy and peace and love and life. And, you know, 
yeah, I'm going to convince myself. But God's saying, man, I don't want you like that. I want you to be experiencing it. Look at the first half of the verse. Freely you have what? Campuses, freely you have? Then freely give. I believe that's the first paradigm that God is establishing. Paradigm truth number one, unless you let me give you this, Jesus is saying, you cannot give it away. I don't need your replica. We only export original, genuine Jesus life. Because I think Peter was probably sitting there and he's probably like, okay, God, I get it. I get what you're doing. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to stay for the rest of the training. I got it. We're going to humble ourselves and we're going to serve people. Okay. And just like, get back in here. Security, lock the doors. You don't get it. You think you're going to go out and copy what I'm doing and remanufacture it and go, okay, I saw Jesus do something like this, so I'm going to do something like that. And he's going, the world doesn't need Peter's imitation of Jesus' love. The world doesn't need DJ's imitation trying to do what he thinks is right and just try hard to serve his wife and his kids and raise them and to be a good example in the community. The world doesn't need G DJ's imitation. They need the real article, the genuine Jesus love that can only be received first, then exported and given away. It's a completely different thing. It's totally different. That's what Peter was at risk of missing if he had walked out before letting Jesus wash his feet. And that's what we miss so often in our lives. The good news is that word freely, freely you have received, freely give, it literally means this, without a cause, freely, for not, or in vain. In vain. Wow. I don't know about you, but I like to consider myself a focused person. Now, Pastor Dan is laughing and others that know me. But, um, you know, I try to live my life in a way that says, hey, if I schedule a coffee appointment with someone or if I, you know, spend time with someone or do something during the day or even, you know, with my kids or whatever, it's like I want to feel like there's kind of a point to it. You know what I'm saying? There's kind of like, hey, well, maybe they'll sign up to help in the nursery ministry or maybe, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to help this person and then whatever, they'll just be like, oh, wow, God set me free. What can I do to serve in the church? And, you know, here's my tithe, you know, whatever. I'm just saying, there's always, like, some way that I kind of see, like, here's how this is helping my mission. Here's how the way I'm spending my time, my money, my, my talent, whatever, is sort of working towards my objective. Does that make sense? I think those of you that are in business, you probably do the same thing. If you schedule a meeting with someone, they're probably either a potential client or maybe a vendor that you might get a better deal from. Or, I mean, there's something in it. They say there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? You heard that? <laughs> Most of us have probably found that in some ways to be true. We all have agendas, I guess, or desires or hopes or plans that maybe we hope others might fit into in some way. But this word freely actually means exactly the opposite, in vain. Like when you come back in the office and you're like, that meeting was in vain. Huh, what's the tone of voice typically? <laughs> it's not like, whoo! That was in vain, yes. <laughs> that was for not. Woo, give me five, high five, yeah, all right, I'll be in my office. I gotta celebrate. No, normally it's like we feel like a failure, but that's the word that Jesus used to say, freely I've given to you. It's not because I need something back from you. It's not because I'm trying to get you, well, if I, if I wash your feet, maybe you'll serve me for the rest of my life, because guess what, I need my feet washed every day. I'll wash yours once. You'll wash mine for thousands. Of, no! <laughs> he 
He doesn't need anything from you. Jesus, think about this, is the one person you're ever going to meet in this world that doesn't need a single thing from you or from me. Man, he's got his stuff together. He's got like 24 elders like bowing down. He's got like animals that have eyeballs all over and they're like, holy is the lamb. I mean, he wants like a sapphire throne. He's got it. Bam. You know, a sea of glass. I mean, what, what do you give the guy who has everything? You know what I'm saying? He doesn't need me. He's, oh, if I only could recruit DJ on my team. Wow. Think of how quickly my kingdom would expand. No, he doesn't need me. But guess what? That's really freeing. Because when you come into a relationship with a person who's not like, oh, how can I, you know, get you to, you know, th does that make sense? Yeah. It's a completely different relationship. It's kind of like, oh, okay, well, um, <clears throat> you know, Peter kind of experienced it on the Mount of Transfiguration where, you know, Moses and, and Elijah show up and all that. And Jesus is like transformed as we learned that same word, transfigure, transform. And, and he's like, well, what can I do? I mean, I'm surely I, you need me for, uh, well, I'll build three shelters. You know, one for you. Jesus is like, sit down before you hurt yourself. You know what I'm saying? I don't need three shelters. Just enjoy this. Just, just look at my beauty. Just share this moment with me. I don't need you to do anything. If I have you do something with me, it's going to be, so that you and I can enjoy it, so that you and I can be partners in this thing together as brothers doing the Father's bidding. But it's not going to be because I need you. So that's what we forget. We forget that, and we think Jesus is looking for people to serve him, and we've got to just skip ahead. He doesn't need it. He just loves us, and he just wants us to receive from him freely. Whatever command Jesus gives in his word is an invitation to first receive it from him. Here's the good news. And remember this next time you read God's word. You know, there's many sort of directives. Would you agree with that? There's many, uh, Highlands Ranch, uh, there's many different sort of, hey, love one another, you know, pray for one another, greet one another, bear each other's burdens. I mean, scripture has a number of, of uh, directives, a number of scriptures that say, you know, do this, do that, you know, uh, uh, let the, this grace of giving be in you, so forth. But here's the deal. Every single one of those things that Jesus is saying, hey, do this, he's actually inviting us to go, hey, come here. Let me give you this. You need honor in your life? Let me show you what it feels like to honor you. You need love? Let me show you what that feels like to be loved. Do you need to be forgiven? Let me show you. You need to forgive somebody else? Come here first. Let me show you what it feels like for me to forgive your sins. Let me wash your feet. Let me give to you everything you need so that you have it first. You can enjoy it first. You can taste it, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who trusts in him. I mean, you know, God only wants people that are, that are experiencing what he has, whose feet have been washed by him. It's a powerful thing. The second paradigm, truth, is this, in God's kingdom and in heaven's culture, only kings are allowed to serve. I love this. <laughs> Until you have been served and washed and honored, you are not qualified to serve and wash and honor anybody else. <laughs> this is the craziest deal, right? Because I've been in leadership in nonprofit for many, many years. And we kind of were like, okay, just, you know, let's get warm bodies in there. You know what I'm saying? Let's get people, you know, ah, VBS is happening. Oh, you know, who? You know, whatever, right? Let's just, you know, anybody who, and God is like, no, I have standards. 
I want them to be kings and queens. Those are the only people that I even allow to grab a towel and a wash basin. So he goes, come here, Peter, sit down. Because how many of you guys know, when the king of kings humbles himself and washes your feet, you got to remember, this is what servants and slaves did for the VIP people. I don't know how many of you guys have uh, been in the airport and sat on one of those kind of throne things and, and had them uh, shine your shoes. I've never done it yet, typically because I'm wearing tennis shoes and I just don't think that would work very well. Um, one day I'll be dressed up. I don't know, that might not be true. Anyway, and I might do it. But the point is, you know, they're sitting on these sprawling thrones, their feet are up on these things, they're like, you know, and they're doing their thing. But the person is feeling like what? They're feeling like a king or a queen, right? It's, a, it's an amazing feeling. They're exalted. They're sitting up there. They got somebody kind of, you know, doing their thing and, and sprays and oils and whatever. Now, I know there's a lot of you ladies are judging the men right now going, I don't do that. But we're coming after you next. What about pedicures? <laughs> Castle Rock, I'm looking at you, right? It's nice, isn't it, to sit there and have somebody like, I don't know, I, I've never gotten one, but I'm, I guess, <laughs> and if I had, I wouldn't tell you, but, but the point is, there's a certain feeling of like, wow, I'm being served, I'm, I'm important, I'm, I'm loved, I'm, I'm honored, I am being celebrated, I'm relaxing and talking and sipping a little Starbucks, you know, passion tea, oh, sorry, honey, anyway, uh, whatever, the point of it is this. That's what Jesus is doing to his disciples. That is exactly what he said. Peter, sit down. You're not leaving this room until you let me do this for you. Because I only allow kings to serve in my kingdom. So you are not qualified to do anything or to walk out of this room and talk to one person about the gospel until you've let me wash your feet and make you feel like a king or let you know that you're a king. Because how many agree when the king of kings is washing your feet and humbling himself before you and ministering to you? Do you think that qualifies you to say, okay, okay, fine, okay, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm a king. I'm a queen. Yeah? Do you think, I mean, if that doesn't make you feel like royalty, what will? Coming back to last week's message, Pastor John mentioned this. What we have to do with the word of God and the, and the imaginations of the enemy is learn to exalt what God says above what the world says. That's the tearing down of the imaginations. That's the tearing down of every thought that exalts itself against Christ. Here's what Jesus is saying to you today and this weekend. I am saying you are a king and a queen. I am wanting to wash your feet. I want to honor you. I want to establish your identity. Will you let what I think of you be more important than what everybody else thinks? Ooh. Because see, that's where the rubber meets the road. We're like, okay, Jesus washed my feet, but you know what? If my boss only liked me. God, if my wife would only treat me like a king. I, I mean, I know you're treating me like a king, then that's nice. He's the king of kings. <laughs> I mean, does that make sense? We're, we're like, thank you, Jesus. That's a nice sentiment. But really, I would prefer that my best friend honored me. We're slapping him in the face. We're, we're rejecting his authority, his, his majesty, 
He's longing to be that person that says, would you let what I say about you be more important and exalt that above every other vain imagination? Because only then will your mind be renewed. Only then will your identity be established. And you will be able to rise up from that place going, I've just been honored by the king of kings. Like, I can serve anybody. Yeah, maybe my husband isn't the sweetest man, but you know what? My feet just got washed by the king of kings. So, honey, here, and we treat them in a different way, or my wife, or my children, or my employee, because it changes us when we really get this. You see, you can't give what you haven't first received, but when we get it from Jesus first, and when we couple that with making what he gives us more important and letting him be our source of honor, of dignity, of identity, then we've got that. He is a king of kings. He's not a king of paupers and slaves. He's the king of kings and of queens. And only when we get that and receive that, like he was trying to get Peter to do, then we can go forth to the ends of the earth and go, it's a paradigm shift. It's, whoo, this is a different kingdom. No, 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 I know, I'm here to share with you, like Paul did. No, no, I'll work as a tent maker, I'll do whatever I have to do, because it's not about trying to get people to serve me. I'm actually here, because I just got served by King Jesus. And I don't, I don't need anybody else to serve me. What, what else could possibly compare with that? That's the transformation and the paradigm change that God is offering to us today. So think differently. To get better at freely giving, we must first get better at freely receiving. God wants a church that is filled with people who are receiving them. Here's an interesting, interesting little fact. Uh, Castle Rock, check this out. In Exodus chapter 28, verses 2 and 40, it's, Moses is getting the instructions for the tabernacle, for the different priestly garments, uh, getting really the blueprint from God on how to build everything. But in, at the beginning of that chapter in verse 2, and at the end of that chapter in verse 40, it says the same thing. It's talking about garments for the priests. And it says, make these garments and weave them together. And it says this simple phrase, to give them dignity and honor. Isn't that cool? God literally thought about, man, I want my priests to have dignity and honor when they serve me. And then he repeats it in verse 40 at the end of the chapter. He's like, hey, and do this and weave these things and have these colors and satin and all that. To give them dignity and honor. I'm convinced that there's a scarcity in this world. But it's not for water. There is that. It's not for food supplies. There obviously is that. But I believe there's an even greater scarcity and drought and famine in this world for the kind of love and the kind of honor and the kind of identity and the kind of caring that only Jesus can give. And we're trying to find it from every other place. And there's drive-by shootings. Why? Because I'm going to get my respect. And there are divorces. Why? Because I'm going to get my respect and my honor. And there's children leaving home because I'm going to get my respect. I don't have to take this. And there's countries going to war against each other. Why? Because they're disrespecting. They're dishonoring. They don't. It's a famine. 
but it can only come from one source because we're all empty. We're all going, well, you do it first and then I'll reciprocate. And they're going, well, you do it and then we'll reciprocate. You can't give what you don't have. So this is saying, look to me, Jesus is saying, I have it. I've got it all. I've got the riches and glory that you can't even imagine. Let me pour it into you and then you'll have it to wash other people's feet. As you have been loved, you'll be able to love. As you have been, had your burdens lifted, you'll be able to lift the burdens of others. As you've been set free and given sight, you'll be able to do that for someone else. That's the life that Jesus is calling to. In conclusion, I just want to say this. The enemy is not afraid of a church with people who just try hard to do what they know they should do. You know, at the end of the day, if the bottle's empty, he doesn't care if we run 23 miles across the desert to bring it to somebody. Does that make sense? Because there's no power in that. But you know when he trembles in fear? Do you know what he has nightmares about at night? Is a church that understands this paradigm that we're talking about and that Jesus was imparting that says, hey, <laughs> do you need honor? Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need to know what it feels like to have someone serve you, to have someone tell you, you know what, you're doing great. You know what, I think you're all right. Do you know what, you're gonna make it. Do you know what, we're in this together. Do you know what, I will never leave you. You're hidden with Christ in God. Man, I'm here, I will fight for you. I will pour my love into you by my Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can't do together. Like the ant said to the elephant, right? <laughs> I'm telling you what, the enemy trembles in fear if we understand that paradigm. And here's what Peter did after he was corrected <laughs> in classic fashion. He did what I believe God wants every one of us to do. Then he comes back and he goes, okay, Jesus, if that's the way it really is, and this is the paradigm, and this is the, the way you want me to change my thinking, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well, man. <laughs> Pour the bucket on me. <laughs> I believe that as we respond to God today, that is what God would have us do. He's calling us, and he's saying, would you come to me? Maybe you've been trying to get what you need in other places from other people, from your work, from your cash flow, from your friends, from your spouse from your accomplishments, but man, it runs dry and you got nothing to give. And you say, man, I stand here with arms wide open. I want to wash your feet. I want you to get this, that I don't need anything from you, but I'm the king of kings who has everything, who says, I want to make you a king or queen so that then you can go out and do what I've done for you with great joy, with great life. As the worship teams come forward at all campuses, just believe that we have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps you're here in, in, at any of our campuses and you've never actually entered into a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, wow, that sounds like a different kind of Jesus entirely than what I you know, remember from Sunday school or previous visits to a church or, or maybe never have even heard what he's like. But I'm telling you what, that's the very first step. Jesus says, hey, I've done it all for you. Would you come let me wash you? That's why I gave my life. 
so that I could wash your sin and make you clean and make you whole and make you new. If you want that today, during this response time, all you need to do is just say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Jesus, have me. Jesus, I want your forgiveness. Jesus, come and wash me clean. And I receive your love. And I give myself to you. If you do that, you will be born of God's spirit. You'll begin a relationship with him that's not based on what you can do or how hard you try or how much you can impress him. On the contrary, it's based on what he can do and what he's done for us. If you already know him, then perhaps as we enter into this response time, just ask yourself, hey, what is it that the enemy has been lying to you about? What is the enemy has been pushing you in and, and you felt depleted and empty? Because that's an area that Jesus is saying, hey, come to the fountain. Come to me. I want to serve you. I want to lift your burden. I want to care for you. I want to give you that thing that you find yourself powerless to give to others. So I'm waiting right here. The enemy will tremble as we come and receive from the Lord all that he has for us. Let's begin to worship him together.